All right, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Very lucky to be joined this week by my father, John, doing a bit of a footy special in the 80s. Now, don't know how you got the manager to sign off on this one, and by manager, I mean mum. <laughs> Good question. Um, I, yeah, is there something hidden in all this that well, set me up? Well, we, we can edit anything out. I think the, the good thing to know is that you're probably about due to retire anyway, so if you say something too rogue, you know, <laughs> it's not the end of the world if you lose your job. Correct. <laughs> so we'll get started. So you were lucky enough to go to boarding school at Assumption where you played a lot of football and cricket at a high level of schoolboy football. Now, quite a few characters there when you were there. You had the likes of Neil Danaher, Simon O'Donnell. Is there anyone else of note you played with that we should be aware of? Or who was, who was the best player, you think? Um, I think Neil Danaher was a complete standout. Um, I still correspond with Neil. And what the beauty of Neil was, as good as a player he was, he was a better person. And today he's still beautifully unaffected. Um, and a great cricketer too. Um, actually, in fact, I think he was a better cricketer than footballer. But thankfully, he stayed with footy and, um, again, he's the same person now as what he was back in um, year 12 when I was there. So do you think he could have gone as far with cricket as he did with football? Because I have heard that a lot, that he was a jet cricketer but just chose football. That's like a lot of good players who are who good at both sports. Um, yeah, I think he, he would have gone a long way if he had chosen cricket, no question. Simon O'Donnell... Good footballer and a sensational cricketer. Um, I could be the hardest hitter of the ball I've ever seen. Yeah, a couple of times there, if you're standing at the uh, <clears throat> at the non-scorer, at, sorry, at the the other end, he would hit it that hard. And no bowlers. This is at school cricket. You know, they were very fearful of bowling to him because it would like be Richard. He hit it at the back of their head. Because <laughs> that is a bloke that effectively chose both sports. He, he was good at both um, and good fella as well. He could, as I said, a very athletic. Forward, um, great kick, huge leap. Yeah, he, very rare you see a fellow play at that level, uh, at, at both cricket and footy. Well, he represented Australia. Um, but again, as I said, astonishing hard hitter of the ball. So is there anyone else of note at school at your time that you played with or even against that you think was just a standout? Um, that's an interesting one. Um, I was fortunate that I... When I suppose at Kilmore, we had some wonderful players. Michael O'Sullivan, who played with Melbourne and then went to Essendon, naturally gifted. Uh, he could have done anything. Uh, and interestingly enough, he's a sensational golfer too. I think he's playing off one or two. I hope I'm right there, Mick. <laughs> um, but the players I played with at Kilmore when uh, you were 11 and 12, uh, those fellas go under the radar. Um, they've all gone on to do wonderful things in their own careers. Um, um, Mark Bradigan, um, Adrian Mitchell Hill, well, these are two fellas that I've played with who, who, who could have maybe gone to the next level. So is that a thing that back in the day, probably the, the talent pathways weren't as established as they are now? So there were you know, standout people who just for one reason or another didn't decide to kind of pursue the sporting thing. I mean... Effectively, to get drafted the AFL back then, you had to come through the school system, wasn't it? There was no TAC Cup or... How, how did blokes actually get selected? Good fortune. <laughs> That's what it was. A um, lot different now uh, to what the system was back then. You basically had to shine at country level. And if you happened to be going okay at school level too, you, you know, you were 
they tend to look for you and find you. Um, but gee, there are a lot of great players um, out there who I'm sure were missed because the system, or there were cracks in the system where they just slipped through. Well, you guys used to have a monopoly on it, basically, didn't you? Assumption, you know, if you lost one game for the whole season, that was a failure, wasn't it? Move on to next year. Yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty tough time. You got rolled for that game. Um, everyone let you know. Don't worry. From from the year sevens right through to your, your colleagues, uh, loss was just not part of the DNA at Kilmore. Because you see a lot of kids getting drafted from the APS system now. I think scholarships have a lot to do with that. But back in your day, right, they were soft as butter. You didn't really have as many kids coming through the APS system as you did through the AGSV, did you? Oh, we found it interesting. We used to mock the, the was it the APS? Yeah. They were very, very soft. <laughs> the Scotch Collegians. Yeah, you know, the Xavier Scots, so fair income. <laughs> we, we just, yeah, we, we just yeah, treated them pretty harshly. They wouldn't have liked coming uh, down, well, north to Kilmore, would it? Because, I mean, we talk about Ballarat on this podcast but assumption to be close to worse weather than Ballarat. Oh, it's a distinct advantage playing at home, you know, on a, on a miserable uh, winter's day. They'd, they'd be coming up to Hume Highway, get to uh, Wallen, and it would be fog, sleet. And you knew when they came up the bus up the driveway, they were beaten already. <laughs> <laughs> Worth about six goals to you. Oh, it was. It was. That's one thing. that There's only one place worse than Kilmore, and that's... Ballarat, and that place scarred me. I, I, <laughs> I played in the under-16s there, and goodness, how do they let AFL teams play there? Oh, it, beyond me. It's shocking. I think one other thing I remember, I, it actually came up probably a couple of years ago. It was an old game. I don't know how it was filmed, but it was, I think, a Herald Sun Shield game. It must have been Assumption versus McKinnon Tech. Now, I don't know if you, you're in year 10 or 11 then, which is one of the, what is it? It's the, the state league, right, where all the schools play against yep. each other. Played in that game. I, I, I don't know if McKinnon Tech, right, if there are a couple of kids who, you know, failed about year 12 seven times because they looked about 25, 26. <laughs> well, I reckon a couple of them drove to the ground. There's no, no doubt about that. <laughs> they look like they've been bricklayers for about five years. They were a pretty good side. Oh. They are very mature side. Yeah. So we'll go back. It's interesting you talk about how you got selected for AFL back in the day. So you are lucky enough to get – I don't even know how – you got contacted by Melbourne Football Club because there's no draft or anything around. It's pretty random. Yeah. If you happen, thankfully, being at Kilmore, which had a great reputation for breeding players, I just happened to be playing there at the time. And you'd, and if I was playing like at Alex High, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. So I was very fortunate. And not many people realise, but back in the day for the younger people, again, there was no draft. It was effectively a zone system where, based on the region you live, you went to a specific team. So the Golden Valley was allocated uh, to Melbourne. Yeah, at, at the time where, where, where we lived and um, uh, was under the Melbourne banner. And um, I was glad we went there because I think Dad played. Well, not, not think I know he did. He played at Melbourne there. So it was seen to be a natural progression. Um, as you say, the state was just split into uh, distinct zones. Yeah, Joe, do you think that system worked well for teams or not? I mean, there's probably an incentive to kind of look after your own area and, you know, support the grassroots. But then conversely, if you are a team and you've got a poor region which is underfunded, then you're probably going to struggle to get people coming through. Oh, they would have lived and died by what their zoning was. Yeah. Um, yeah it was an interesting one. Uh, I think the Goulburn Valley was, a, was certainly a rich field for, for Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good players came from there. 
it's funny because we, we had Tommy McDonald on the podcast earlier this year and he was talking about Melbourne when they were seriously struggling. Now, you can probably relate. So you went there in 1980, 1981? Yeah, 1980, um, I left school in 79 and uh, and went to Melbourne uh, for, in 1980, played with the under-19s. Yep. And then graduated to the senior list, which happened to be in 81 when um, Brass took over. And that was an interesting time being a young fella involved in, <laughs> in senior footy when Brass was there. And, um, yeah, it was a real steep learning curve. What Was it fire and brimstone? Was he a bit of oh, an authoritarian yeah. figure? Oh, yeah. Um, I like Brass. Great bloke. Um, I think there were two Brasses. When, um, when he was at training and, and on, on the game day, he would be the most intense bloke I think I've ever seen. Off the field, an absolute delight. He seemed to like me. I don't know why, but we got on really well. <laughs> Well, did, do you have any stories to tell about him? You know, any fire and brimstone or things he'd do in pre-season? Like, what was the workload back in those days? Um, oh, it's interesting. The workload was just full on. Um, to a certain extent, look, training today is so much more sophisticated. Uh, back then, it was the situation was you lost, trained harder. You lost again, trained harder again. And if you lose three in a row, you just train, train, train. And, and to a certain extent, we did overtrain and it wasn't much fun. But it, I, And it got to a point where our blokes were very fearful of brass. Like I remember it um, in the good old days. Well, one of, the, one of the good things playing with Melbourne, we got to train at the MCG every yeah. week. So, and, and enter that massive stadium. It was just a glorious place. But sometimes going in there, you knew what was just going to happen. You just got to run <laughs> over. You got to get absolutely slammed. But um, And... I, I can recall quite vividly, it's now um, we're training MCG and we went through a particularly poor spell and uh, Brass would come up and train with us and it was no, and then he joined circle work, you know, if you believe we had circle work back in the 1980s. Anyway, um, what would happen is when Brass would join in, the whole half that he's on was vacant. <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the other blokes just kept away from him. You got about 40 touches. Yeah, and, and I really remember that during this anyway I was out there on the wing the ball came in and Brass was in front of me I'm saying don't drop it don't drop it don't drop it bang what did I do drop it and he went nuts <laughs> <laughs> it just you know it just happened you know and that's what happens when you know sort of a sudden um, look, we respected but we were very fearful of him but look if Brass was coaching today he would have treated a lot differently I have no doubt um, different different methods of training um, I can remember another thing you know pre-season uh, we trained in the old Scotch Oval which was a crossover from the MCG, and one particular time, um, I was about 40 degrees, we are training out there, and it was a sign of weakness if you were to you know, go and seek a glass of water or a drink. <laughs> Coward. Yeah, it was. And so what there would be would be a, um, um, in the middle of the ground, it would be, oh, goodness, I'm trying to think, I lost my train of thought there, would be a table with all the drinks on it. Yeah. And it was like an oasis. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to touch it, no matter how poorly we were feeling. There's blokes dropping like flies. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to touch it unless it, it, Brass called us in. So that's, you know, some of us could have died. <laughs> and, uh, again, that was that was the thinking at the time. Well, don't you have another story? Was it the first train you ever went there and Brass had just come over? Was it from North Melbourne or was it Carlton? And uh, North Melbourne. And the media were there. Yeah, first training run. <laughs> Tell us what happened. You went for a bit of a run. And yeah, we all got there. We were pretty impressive. Again, heading over the old Scotch Oval. And um, supporters, droves, hundreds of them. All the press were there. Anyway, they, they were making us do run-throughs. Anyway, 
I couldn't make the, the last one. I had a spew <laughs> in front of all the media. <laughs> on the back page of the Herald I Sun. Well, I would have been today, but yeah, <laughs> wasn't my best. Wasn't my best look, I can tell you. Oh god, that's funny. Now, at that time, there were quite a few big personas, big names, cult heroes. Did you say Ron Brassy won as the coach? But you also had the ability. You played with Mark Jackson, Mark Jacko Jackson, who most people would know from uh, the on-air stash with uh, Open Mike. Yeah, <laughs> Jacko was, you know, there were two Jack. Jacko was a wonderful bloke. Um, a lot of people aren't aware. He trained as hard as anyone on his craft. He's kicking. He was fantastic. A lot of people wouldn't see that. Um, but he played the game. There were two Jackos. There's one Jacko on the field and one off it. We could say three. Uh, when he went home, he was normal. Because he was, he was highly accurate. I think when he was playing, he was averaging about three or four goals a game. Did he work on his goal kicking? Absolutely. Yep. That was his craft. And he did that. And a lot of people probably didn't appreciate how good a goal kicker he was. So what did he do extra after training, set yep. shots? Yep. Well, so do you think that's an issue at the moment in the AFL? People talk about the goal kicking, but never in training do you ever kick goals. You might do five after training. How often do you hear about blokes, you know, kicking two two hours after training, 100 shots until they can get 90% of them? Sports science wouldn't let you do that, would it? No, exactly. I think that's the issue. They've hijacked brought that up. It, um, yeah, look, it's, look I, I haven't been to see a, a training run uh, of, the, of the teams in recent times. It'll actually be good fun to see how they go about it. A lot more sophisticated, no doubt. Um, uh, yeah, but back then... Yeah, you wouldn't see too many uh, having kick to kick um, or or goal practice. I know, I'm sure there are other players out there who did, um, but that is one area of the game that probably hasn't improved. So, what was Jacko like off the field? I liked him, a really good fellow. <laughs> good fun to go out with. A bit of a character, <laughs> bit of a unit. Um, a- another character as well for the Melbourne Faithful. But you played there when Robbie Flower was there. Yeah, Robbie Flower is a wonderfully gifted player. Arguably one of the best I've ever seen. And I got to, I got to see it at every training session. Um, and and a wonderful bloke too. Uh, he looked like a fellow who needed a drench. <laughs> he was thin, he looked sickly. But gee, he could play. He could play. And, and the best way to describe it when you say you're having competitive uh, practice, playing on Robbie Flower was trying, like trying to catch smoke. Yeah, That's what it was. <laughs> you just couldn't lay a finger on him. He was that good. And you also had... Sam Newman, I believe, was an assistant coach there at the time. Yep. He was. Um, I, I didn't get to know Sam that well. Um, the only time I saw him was, was when pre-season um, in the showers. That's the only time I ran into him. Well, don't you reckon he was one of the fittest and strongest blokes there ahead of his time? Oh, he was. He was like a Greek god. And tanned and um, sort of threw me out a bit because he's wearing thongs in the shower. I've never <laughs> seen that before. And But haven't you said as well... Compared to now, he's the media persona and he's out and about very vocal. He was almost a bit timid or, you know, not, not the same extent he is today. Oh, I, I found he was actually uh, very reserved and quite shy. Yeah. Um, lovely bloke. Um, but, but, yeah, just a, just a bit quite introverted, to be frank. So we'll touch on as well, when you first moved to Melbourne, who were you building out? Because you were a country boy living in the big smoke. Um. Yeah, went down to Melbourne, stayed with uh, uh, my my auntie for a while, didn't like that, and then went into a house with Jared Healy. We, we, we got a place, this time I think it was in, it might have been Armidale, and um, it was pretty wild, I'm telling <laughs> you. <laughs> what was that like? A, a few house parties I've heard. Oh, we had we, sensational house parties, and, and uh, I remember a couple of times that uh, 
they were so big and and enjoyable that uh, they had the old fuse boxes. We blew that up about two or three times, <laughs> and um, and in the end, a lot of things in the house just didn't work. Like it was an old period home, and we'd had with high ceilings, uh, long hallway. And I think the first day we got in there, we kicked a footy through the glass in, at the top of the of the, the, the door at the front. <laughs> yeah, it was as cold as charity. Um, did, it, it was a wild time. Didn't you have a house party uh, one time and it was that large that a neighbour came across the road with a shotgun? That's fair dinkum. <laughs> we had a full house and the neighbour's just gone nuts. He's coming with a shotgun. <laughs> and that was, it was, it was no idle threat. <laughs> you would have turned the music up pretty quickly. Well, we did then. We, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it spoke all languages, I'm telling you. That was amazing. Oh, but the interesting thing, probably how much the, the professionalism and the sports science has changed. I don't think you had any dietitians back in the day. Because I remember Pop telling me a story about one time he came down and, well, who'd you have you, Jared Healy, a couple of other players? Yep. And he went to um, check the fridge and it was just stocked up with VB long necks and baked beans. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> no, actually, there was two things that, um, well, we, we had the stove didn't work because we blew that up as well. And we had nowhere else to st- um, store the beer, so we put the beer in the in the stove as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it like, you know, being a league footballer back then in terms of the social circuit? I imagine a bit different now. I mean, there would have been some heavy hitters who would have, you know, gone out a lot. Um, interesting times. So sort of, um, it was mainly after the pre-season that it got pretty wild. Um, each club had. In my opinion, probably the, the high-profile stars were known everywhere, whereas us, we just went under the radar. Yeah. Um, yeah no one wanted to know us. <laughs> where, where were the places to go? I mean, go in the time machine. I think you were telling me about one place in Melbourne you used to do all-you-can-eat drinks. Or, yeah. No, what was well, it? Look, at the end of the season, um, yeah, that was pretty wild. Um, I think Monday night was Billboard. Tuesday night uh, was, was yeah, Chasers. Uh, 15 bucks a week a drink and they, they changed that pretty quick after we went in there I can tell you <laughs> uh, we just yeah, $15 is a lot of money then but you could drink anything and everyone's going oh we'll have, we'll have a couple of those shots and um, 10 pots and <laughs> try I, one tip it out over yeah, the shoulder pretty much <laughs> yeah and uh, so that was good fun I just remember Wednesday I don't know might have the night off uh, New Boundary on, um, on Thursday in East Melbourne sadly that's no longer there um, but it was pretty social time. Oh, and Sundays. Sundays was the biggest and the best day during the season. Um, that was, you know, this was back in a time when I think licensing laws were six till ten. Um, went to the bears, the Bear Cave in Caulfield. That was great. That was just very humble. Uh, cleaned out the, wash out the, the rooms and then put a barrel I think, in each corner and off they went. <laughs> that was good fun. The, the old Sunday session. Yeah, it was. Now, again, how the times have changed as well. In the 80s, a lot of blokes used to smoke, didn't they? Like, I think you've told me before, all the Essendon blokes loved it. Yeah, the Essendon blokes like a gasper. Um, I used to, when I was, uh, I was working in South Melbourne at the time, and Wayne Gordon, who was a great footballer from, from started with Collingwood and was at Melbourne with me at the time, he used to punch them out like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd be driving to training and he'd be punching them out. And, um, yeah, it wasn't unusual. <laughs> It's different. So we'll get on to the football, but I, I believe in your first game, who did you play? Was it Richmond or Hawthorne? I uh, played Richmond, yep. And main, you kicked three, didn't you? I had a good day. I kicked, had, had 22 touches and three goals. Quite a debut. Yep. Now, in the two senior games you did play at the end of the season, 
quite some established blokes on the other team that you were playing against, weren't there? Oh, we're playing against Richmond. Um, well, they uh, they just won the premiership the year before. Yeah, uh, Mark Lee, scary bloke. He was in Ruckman. Um, Robert Wiley. I don't think Robbie Wiley played that day. Uh, I um, who else was there? Um, the Ghost, Jimmy Jess, um, Barry Rollings played there, and I think Jeff Rains as well. So there were there were super players on every line. And then you and Kevin Bartlett, KB, KB. I had him dragged. <laughs> And then the next week, uh, Hawthorne, I believe. Yep. Gary Ablett Senior was playing, wasn't he? I can't recall. I, can't, I really can't recall if he was. It, um, he might have been. And uh, no, look, I couldn't answer that one, mate. Um, lethal, le- le- lethal Lee was there. Don Scott. What was Lethal like? He didn't clock anyone. I didn't the get ball, close did enough he? to him, thankfully. <laughs> he was at the other end. <laughs> Bit of a unit, but. Anyway, you're quite unlucky in the way that you only play those two games. And you effectively got injured, didn't you, after that? And no, pretty much the, I, my career down at Melbourne was just littered with injuries. You know, um, I'd hardly play. Like I'd be lucky to get a dozen games in, in, in the two years that I was there. Yeah. Um, and footy stops for no one. There's no sentiment in footy at that level. So you've got to make the most of it. And um, sadly, uh, it didn't work for me. When you did left leave, however, you decided to make the move to go over to West Australia. Now, Correct. Quite a, a big move, I think, because at the time, well, you had to catch a train over, didn't you? Take yeah, all your stuff, because well, it, was, it was... Looking back, um, I didn't really help myself too much, so I, did, I went over with no pre-season. <laughs> I had this preconceived view that, uh, you know, footy over there would be a walk in the park, and far from it. There's a super competition over there, so I've, I've gone there underdone. Um, had the old Valiant staff car, um, <coughs> Regal. Um, I had to drive to Port Pirie and stay there overnight and put the old staff car on the back of the... <laughs> Port Pirie the, would have been rough as guts back then. I couldn't. I didn't stay there too long. didn't sort of go... It yeah, I think it was a thing of beauty. Um, so I stayed there overnight in a motel and honked the car on the back of the, tra- of the train and off we went. It was tedious, that train trip, I'm telling you. So, so I got the train trip into, into Perth and, and a fellow, I think, um, Shane, uh, Steve Braddy, who, um, who I was living with at the time. And one of the things I remember, I got off the train that, and got the car off and I don't know what happened between Port Perry and Perth, but it, it didn't really go too well. There's black <laughs> smoke just pouring out of the vehicle. And I was driving to where I had to go, I think it, it, it had to go from... Get where I was going to it was a fair distance, but I didn't do myself any favors too because I had Victorian number plates, <laughs> and it was the valley. It was just blowing black smoke everywhere, and the people were going nuts beside me. And I and when I pulled up to any lights, I had to just put it in park and just keep the foot on the accelerator to keep <laughs> it going. It was just <laughs> so that was my that was my entrance into Perth. Oh, but beautiful city. Stunning. We'll get back to um, Perth, but that just reminds me, I'll backtrack a bit, a funny story you used to tell when you were at Melbourne and when the boys would be playing at Vic Park. You, oh, know, you know this, what, what would happen with the car, you'd park it out the front. Oh, we, we, we sort of used, there was a bit of talk that, you know, with the old Valiant there that no one would touch it. So you'd park it out the front, put the bonnet up, and no one, everyone would think it had broken down. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd just walk straight yeah, in. yep. <laughs> so we, we'll go back to Perth from that, but... A lot of people don't realise because, you know, the AFL is based on a VFL. But the Waffle and the Sandful effectively were, you know, highly competitive professional leagues in their own right. Oh, look, again, I, I, didn't, I didn't really give it the, uh, the 
area or the attitude that it deserved. It was Woody in Perth was exceptional, sensational players. I, I was with Subiaco, and gee, I wish I had a stayed because I think they played in the grand final the year after. Yeah, but some wonderful players, um, great conditions. Uh, Mark Sinotti. Yeah, Mark Sinotti was there. <laughs> yeah, good fella. Bit of a cult hero in the AFL community these days. Oh, he was good too. I, I liked, yeah, he was there. He, he'd be, um, I didn't, didn't get to play much with him at all because I think he was injured. But again, he'd punch out the gaspers like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but, gee, he was quick. Yeah. Good player. Good player. So for all those people listening now who probably got no concept, what was the income like for playing, you know, league football back in those days? It wouldn't have been much chop, anything compared to what it was. Not much at all. What I can tell you is that, um, um, yeah, at Melbourne first year playing uh, ones and twos, um, it was <laughs> we would have gladly played Melbourne because we just wanted to play AFL footy. Yeah, we played them, but I. Re- I remember um, my paycheck at the end of the year, which wasn't much because I got, I think I had about half of it uh, pulled away by fines. <laughs> uh, 600 bucks. <laughs> it's fair income, 600 bucks. E- was... Even with inflation, that's not much. No, no, but yeah, we got fined for everything. Well, I reckon Pop used to say you probably paid that in parking fines in the first three months well, you were in Melbourne. That's another thing. <laughs> Correct. Oh, yeah, it was a. Yeah, country boy and the big smoke. <laughs> so after you came back from Perth, you decided to have a stint at country football. Now, I'm not sure if this is the first or second year, but you effectively thought it would be a fantastic idea to coach a rural side at the age of 24. Correct. Now, how did you find that as a young buck coaching blokes who were, you know, in their mid to late, even 30s even? Uh, that was really difficult. That's hit, hit on a really good point. Um most of the blokes you're coaching are older than you. So you had to work really hard at winning their respect. And um, that was you know, by what you did on the field and also what you did off the field. So, yeah, interesting gig. Um, if I was doing it again, if I had my time, I think I was probably too young at that stage. Yeah. Um, you probably learn a lot in that year, though. A hell of a lot. And it, as I said, it's really hard to win the respect of older blokes when you're a young fellow. It's just, you know, you... But you're perceived to have not done enough. And um, as I said, you have to have to work really hard at winning that respect. Because, I mean, there'd probably even be some blokes, you can do all you can, but at the end of the day, they're just never going to have that level of respect for someone who's <laughs> 10 years younger than Correct, them. correct. Well, I guess at the end of the day, that's coaching, isn't it? Managing other people who, some of them at the end of the day, aren't going to listen to you or like what you're thinking. All those experiences you have through footy, um, you learn from it. And as you go on your footy career, coaching career, you Take, it, take all the things that you've learnt and um, it makes you a better player and a better person. So you decided to play elsewhere also. You spent a fair bit of time in the Golden Valley League. Now, how did you find that for people interstate who aren't familiar with rural football? The Golden Valley League probably was the, the best league in country Victoria. Now it'd be top two, that number to Murray. Yes. What was it like going to that sort of league, you know, Coming from effectively the VFL, you know, were there a lot, was there a lot of talent in that league? Oh, absolutely! Um, some wonderful footballers in that in that competition. Um, I, I, I initially, well, back was it nineteen eighty five? I had my first season with Lemnos, the Shep Swans, uh, fantastic club. Um, everyone was treated equally down there, and um, it also was a place too that. Um, they didn't know me from a bar of soap when I went there and they were just so accepting. 
I was very grateful for that. And uh, but I was fortunate that there were the most some of the most wonderful players, Aboriginal boys. Probably a fella I played with, like name of Robbie Britton uh, from the Sheps Ones. Then um, he was just astonishing. Was what, he an Indigenous boy? He's an Aboriginal boy, and when he was on, he would just stand on bloke's shoulders, and would just he'd put on a show. It, it was just it, a wonderfully gifted player, and uh, and the, and they, all those Golden Valley teams had good players too. There was Shepherd and Shep United, Kyabram, Rochester, Euroa, Seymour. Um, some really good players. Was there anyone that stands out in the league, whether they be, say, an ex-league footballer that came back or just you know someone who never really wanted to push it and go to the VFL? But who do you reckon was the, the best you saw in the country football? Oh, that's a good one. That's a, that's, that's a hard question because we saw so many. Um, I tell you what, there are a couple of blokes who played uh, for Tatura when I was playing there. Um, he went on to play AFL footy. He, I remember playing against him. It was his first game with Tatura. A fellow young bloke by the name of Alan Thorpe, uh, an Aboriginal boy. Oh, extraordinary. Where the only way we could match him, we had to put another Aboriginal boy on him. It was as simple as that. <laughs> no one else could get near him. <laughs> and um, another fellow who play, played with Fitzroy, actually, uh, Grant Laurie, super footballer. Oh, he was just something else, too, at G, GV level. Um, uh, but there was some again. I was fortunate I played in a, in, a, in a very good side too. Um, a fellow named Steve Pedretti uh, played centre half back for the Shep Swans. He, again, underrated. Uh, could do anything. Uh, and I said I could I could spend quite a bit of time going through every team. But it was a a great level of footy and and, and extremely enjoyable. Uh, one, one thing I will say too, back with the Shep Swans, um, one of the fellows there that. Probably enjoyed enjoyed the most, and uh, he had quite a reputation as a fellow by the name of Baden Brunia. Baden was the most delightful, generous person. But when he went on the field, he, he, his eyes would wobble. He'd be <laughs> <laughs> white line fever. He, he did exactly. And I remember one time, uh, what Baden we're playing uh, Tongala, and there's a fellow by the name Mick Loverson who was a, 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 a fellow who could uh, certainly handle himself. He and Baden went toe to toe, and. I've never seen anything like this. Everyone just stood there and watched. <laughs> World and War III. No, no one wanted to get near them. And, they, <laughs> and anyway, they fought that much that they just stopped and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. But they were both really good hard men for their club. And um, and with Baden, I certainly... I think when he went out there, we certainly felt pretty well protected. All right, so we'll go on. You, you, you moved back. Home to which is effectively Thornton, Alexandria in the northeast. You were playing in the Tungamar League in the late 80s, which is also was a very good league. Correct. Decided to take up coaching again in the year 1988. Now, don't know what you were thinking, but decided to take on the coaching role, but had your wedding on round one. <laughs> don't know how many blokes do that and got away with it. Because I took a... I, think, I reckon there was half a dozen blokes who went to the wedding yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big no-no in footy circles. <laughs> and you, you guys lost the first four games on the trot, didn't you? Lost the first four and then won the next 13. So I think that the other thing that's worth saying is, you know, some people might think country football isn't as strong. At that stage, Alexandria, you effectively had four blokes who'd played league football in some degree, didn't you? We did. You- and a really good thing. Brother Peter, Johnny Wallace, and Lee Munro, and myself. So there were four of us. Well, in five, because what Macca played, Sandful football, yeah, didn't well, he? Yeah. Well, Peter McKenzie, he, how he 
didn't get picked up by the AFL is beyond me. He was, he's just an extraordinary footballer. Um, yeah, it just shows that sometimes in that system there are cracks and people slip through. Then he went to South Australia and they recognised him or recognised how good he was. Yeah. So it's quite amazing to think of you know, any country football team these days that had five league players, you know, you'd think would just storm over the competition. But it was actually still quite even, wasn't it? It was. It was very good footy in those days. And again, we played the likes of um, Shep East, um, Katandra, Mansfield. Um, all of them were good sides. Dookie. So we'll get to the end of the season. You said you lost the first four, won the next 13, managed to make it to the grand final, which lives in infamy in the town. I've seen the videos. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, they couldn't start the game for the first 15 minutes because blokes were just blue in nonstop. Yeah, that's what happened. It was a full house. And, um, yeah, I reckon the game, I reckon that first quarter would have went for nearly an hour. <laughs> They didn't start. They were about ready to throw the ball up and then they stopped again for another 10 minutes. Yeah, that's right. It was just on. And uh, the two teams, they just did not like each other. Um, <laughs> and I've never experienced this before. Um, when, you know, uh, we'd built up quite a rivalry during the year and in the second semi, they absolutely belted us and let us know. They rubbed our nose in it, which is probably the worst thing they could have done. Um, and then when we again come to the grand final and, and we're all preparing and we we rate. We went out, went through the banner, and uh, the two teams were. Well, you know, when you when you when you run across the path of the other team, there was everyone was hurling abuse at each other within yeah. ten meters. Like I was watching the game on what was it on um, on Good Friday between North Melbourne and Carlton. Yeah, running out together. Well, God forbid if that had happened in our days, because it wouldn't ever got started. <laughs> it was yeah. We just hated each other because you're dead. You were down by six goals at half time, weren't you? Yep. In the pouring rain and then managed to get over. And one by six. Yeah. And so, believe you had your nose broken in that affair, didn't you? Someone uh, oh, I got totally smashed. <laughs> and I had to have it reconstructed, put back together. That wasn't much fun, I'll tell you. But again, this is the argument people, especially people these days, we talk about football in the olden days, and they say, oh, footy was so much tougher in the olden days. Do you reckon that's just a lie? It was just dirtier. Correct. Uh, you, I think you look at modern day players and I say to anyone who will listen is that go and get right on the boundary and watch these modern day players go about their craft. They're, they're missiles. It's just amazing. And not many jobs you go to where you know you could end up being concussed. Yeah. And yeah, the game hasn't softened. Not at all, in my opinion. Yeah, ours are just dirtier. You just got away with it. <laughs> or yeah, there's no there's no sort of video evidence. And, um, <laughs> well, well, did... You or did you not have to front Victorian Country Football League for bringing the game into disrepute? Yeah, Jeffrey Horton and I, uh, we both got reported for bringing the game into disrepute. I didn't even know that was a thing back in the eighties. You were probably the trailblazers. I <laughs> well, I think we were. I think our game and um, an Ovens and Murray Grand Final um, made the um, VCFL decide to have the send off rule <laughs> after that. <laughs> and um, but yeah, Jeffrey and I had to front them. Um, I don't know how I got it. Jeffrey got 15 weeks. <laughs> 15 weeks in the 80s, mate. That is like a 10 year ban now. Um, Jeffrey, wonderful player. Um, well, they called him Mungrel, didn't yeah, they? Correct. Well, isn't, that why they, <laughs> isn't that why they couldn't start the game? Because he was just blowing with the uh, full forward? Yeah, he gave him one before it even started, and it, and it was on. <laughs> it's just so foreign for someone like me to imagine in today's day and age. 
if you saw Jeffrey today, he looks like a mild and meek accountant. <laughs> Well, don't you tell your under-16 boys that you coached that? You know, once upon a time, this was the most feared bloke, you know, they, south of the Murray. They just looked at me and said, you've got to be joking. <laughs> he was. He was just a... He, he, apart from being an enforcer, he was pretty cruel. That's probably the best way of describing it. And that's happened. Every team had those blokes. Um, yeah, it was a battle every time you went out. Well, that's why they brought the send-off rule, wasn't it? Because didn't a lot of teams in those days have put on some, some absolute mug and his job was just to... Take out the better play. That, I mean, that, that's real and that happened. You were probably on the, the wrong end of a few of those. Well, I think um, I think every grand final player being concussed, I can't remember much of them. <laughs> um, it's, um, yeah, that sadly was part of the game. But back in, Didn't those, enjoy it. back in those days as well, you probably got concussed, right? And they, you'd hop back on the ground. Oh, put the smelling salts under your nose, you'll be fine. Off you go again. Can you remember your name? No, fine, get out. Yeah, well, that's, again, that's, you know, we weren't as sophisticated then as what they are now. And, um, and I look at blokes playing, you know, like that boy McCartan I watched last night. Um, oh, it was just so sad to see. He could hardly stand up. And, and hope, look, I've got to say, that boy ought to give it, have some real thought about what he's going to do with his life and also his footy because it, he's been knocked around too many times, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Got another point here as well. Did you lose a league best and fairest due to suspension? I did. <laughs> Were you guilty or not guilty? Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I went to, um, there was a local copper at the time, said, I'll get you off, no problem. And he said, right, we'll get some video footage, which there was. And um, so we've, and it was the worst thing we ever did because it hung me out to dry. Guilty <laughs> of sin. <laughs> I coat hanging a bloke. And, um, <laughs> and if Shouldn't I, have got the video footage. I know. The, <laughs> I got, yeah, the, it was it was pretty compelling. Oh, God. I didn't even know they had video footage well, back well, what in those they, days. Well, we, what they did, no, they had to go and put it. This is Fanning. They got an old TV, yeah. put it in the back of the car <laughs> with a video VCR and took it to the Dookie pub where we're having the tribunal. <laughs> <laughs> the tribunal at the pub. Yeah. That's Fanning. <laughs> well, you probably should have shouted the uh, adjudicators a few more pots so oh, they couldn't well, see the footage as oh, well. Well, this is what we did in those days. And again, as I said, that was quite sophisticated, you know, and... and uh, it was like the, um, yeah, the, the policeman who, who thought he could become a solicitor or a barrister would get me off. He just threw me under a bus. <laughs> but it, it's just interesting listening to all this stuff. Again, it's so foreign how the game's changed. But on the weekend, I was chatting with Craig Bamford, who plays at Euroa, who was you know effectively playing there when you were. And he played his first game at 15. I think this must have been in 1994, 1995. Yes. He said the last game of the season, Euroa versus Seymour, it was like Armageddon, World War Three. Blokes were just belting the absolute living daylights out of each other. And I just said, well, you know, were you playing to get in the finals? And he's like, nah. <laughs> we're both down the bottom. There was no reason for it. But oh, that was just the time. Oh, what it was. They, there was enormous rivalry between the two. And, and I often laugh when I chat to Craig about that. You know, he was, a, I was coaching at the time. It was your yeah, last home and away game. And there was a lot of feeling. And... Um, yeah, a sixteen-year-old first game thrown in there, and it's right. It was like World War Three. <laughs> he said it's guarding. <laughs> well, I guess the other thing is you absolutely, absolutely milked your body for all it's worth. You played until thirty-eight. Now I haven't played in the last three years and played a twos game two days ago and feel like I've been hit by a freight train. How did you get to thirty-eight still playing football? Um, 
Oh, I paid a price. <laughs> I can tell you. It's a young man's game. I don't care what anyone says. How many Voltarans would you have on a weekend? Oh, gee. Oh, I'm lucky I had a good doctor. He looked after me. But that's the only thing he got me through. <laughs> All right. We'll finish on one note, and that, that'll just be country football in general. Now, I think at the top level, seniors is still very strong. If you look at legs like the Golden Valley and the Ovington Murray. But... D- do you think it's doing tough? I mean, a lot of teams are disbanding. They can't get blokes out there. What do you reckon, you know, the cause of this is? And is there a solution or is it just, you know, rural towns in general are battling? I think it's a conversation I think a lot of country clubs are going to have to have shortly because um, the pandemic, you know, the one, that one in 100 year pandemic, where we've effectively lost three years, there's no doubt I think that's impacted on country footy. But this has been coming for a while. I know at, um, at Alexandra... Uh, it's they're finding it difficult to find a league just to play in, and and by virtue of that, it's hard to get players to stay, and and this is happening across all leagues. So country footy is yeah, they're just treading water at the moment. Um, I've known one thing that really stood stood out to me is uh, you know things are a bit tight when a Golden Valley club can't get second footballers or, or forfeit. I've never ever heard of that before. And uh, country footy is, yeah, there's going to have to be some smarter people than you and I you know, put their heads together to, to make it strong because, as I said, it is struggling. Um, junior footy is really important. I think the key to good junior footy is getting the best coaches you probably could possibly get. Um, that underpins everything. And if we can certainly keep junior footy strong, uh, get the best coaches, um, encourage kids to enjoy it, have fun, and keep them involved in the game and give them the love of the game. Um, if we can continue to do that, I think footy will be the better for that. Um, but, yeah, it's going through a tough time. might be prospering at the highest level, but I, I, you and I see it locally that, you know, it's just struggling. Um, hopefully it won't be like that forever, um, but it's certainly something that um, we need to address. And, and I think anyone out there involved with footy we've just got to work very very hard to keep it going because country footy in my opinion is the glue that keeps communities together and we need to encourage that and keep that happening well good note to finish on i don't think we're going to fix the issue in the next week or so but (laughs) hopefully we can get a solution to it but uh thanks for appearing on the pod thanks mate might get you here for some another guest appearance later down the road but otherwise thanks for listening thank you